Tim? Hey, Tim? Are you there? Tim? Seriously, Tim? <laughs> oh, my God! <laughs> oh, my God. <clears throat> oh, my God. Alright all you movie junkies, it is time for the SLS Cast, with your hosts Matt and Tim. And welcome one and all to episode 84 of the SLS Cast. Yes ladies and gentlemen, it is the Quatutor Decillion episode of... The SLS cast. And you're like, what the fuck did he just say? Well, it turns out that in the British system, the Quatitur Decillion is a number that is 10 to the 84th power. That is 1 followed by 84 zeros. And while you try to wrap your head around that kind of knowledge, my name is Matt. <laughs> What is that called again? The what are the what are? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I told you you were gonna be like what? I thought you'd love. Okay, yes, the Quatitor Decillion. The Q U A T T Sicilian. Yeah, Q U A T T U O R D E C I L L I O N. Quatitor Decillion. All one word. That sounds like a fancy pizza you'd order. <laughs> I'll have the I'll have a slice of your Quattro Formaggi pizza, and then your Quattro de Sicilian, de Sicilian, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I'm Tim. I'm Tim over here, <laughs> in uh, Los Angeles. Indeed, indeed. How's your week been going, sir? My week has been uh, doing pretty well. I uh, had a bunch of sausage a couple days ago, which was cool. That that was like my highlight of this past week. Was were, eating were, some wonderful sausage. Were you at a literal sausage fest? Well, no. Well, it was a German Not restaurant. Not just the colloquial, like when a whole bunch of guys get together and they say, "Oh, wow, this is a sausage fest." I mean, were you like at a literal sausage fest? Like, no, I was with festival? my uncle. Ah, so it was just two dudes eating sausage together, <laughs> which I would imagine is the way to do it. Because uh, does your wife like sausage? I mean, the you know what I mean. <laughs> it's just no way to make this sound good, right? Uh, she does. She is more of the uh, patty style than the link style. Uh, but uh, you start getting to things like, uh, you know, like a, a kielbasa sausage, and then she's uh, down with that in the link form. But in terms of just regular good old fashioned breakfast sausages, she likes patties instead of links. Where I'm more of the, I- I'm vice versa. Although it doesn't really matter. I'll eat sausage. I enjoy it. Yeah, I had this fantastic like duck sausage, really good. I I didn't even think that's you know that actually ex- actually existed, but I guess you can make sausage out of anything, really. Oh yeah, yep. blood we, uh, sausage. Are, uh, uh, I'm sorry, what sausage? Blood blood sausage. Ooh. Yeah, it looks like a well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I we we uh we always had a butcher that our family used. Uh, for our butcher, venison. so we, so we'd have a great a, a great venison sausage. Was his name was Sam? A, was he Sam the butcher? No, no. Unfortunately, uh, I do not recall his name. Uh, we pretty much 
stopped using them after my granddaddy passed away. Well, the thing with, like, butchers, it's like if they're a a wholehearty American butcher, they have to have a name like Sam or Bill. Bill the Butcher. Mike. You know, just a... Uh, never, never really the full name, Joe, right? Because you know it's not Samuel, it's Sam. It's not William, it's Bill. Uh, you know, it, it's not Michael, it's Mike. It's not Joseph, it's Joe. Yeah, I hear you, Jebediah, Jeb. Sure, even that as well. Well, I'm glad that you had to had a good time doing the sausage thing with your uncle there was nothing really exciting that happened over this weekend uh attended a friend's birthday party on saturday and oh. uh um was it a milestone yeah. birthday uh 47 so I don't and know he had a birthday party i mean did, were, were there like games yeah. going on or no 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 it was at a bar oh it was a, yeah does that really constitute thing. as a birthday party though because it's kind of misleading they had a section of the bar all, you know, like reserved for them. Tables put together with tablecloths and decorations and stuff. They actually had a masquerade theme, so all the people who had, who were there at the party actually had masks on and stuff. And then they, and it just happened to also be at a bar. And uh, one of their friends is a KJ, so they were doing the karaoke stuff as well. And the karaoke people—they're called KJs. That's right. Really, the KJ karaoke jockeys. Indeed. KJ. But I want to grow up and be a KJ, Daddy. No, you're going to be a DJ. I'm going to be a KJ. Yeah, further down the alphabet. <laughs> down the alphabet and down the pay scale, I'm sure. I'm sure. I don't, I don't know. know. Most, of the, most of the KJs I know make about $200 a show. So, I mean, it's not a bad not a bad way to earn a living, I suppose. Even pretty good side gig. Yeah, anyhow. So, yes, yeah, so that's pretty much it. Here we are on the 14th of July, and... That's the sum of my life for the last week. Talking about KJs and sausage, sausage. parties. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Uh, I, yes, you do have some, uh, I believe it's some news of the weird for us, don't you? I do, I do. It's. Uh, I, I guess it's weird only because there are morons in our society that uh, that do this, that, that fall for st- the stupidest shit. I mean, we live in a world where we have BuzzFeed and Reddit and The Onion, where daily they they throw out these memes or gifts or whatever, the you know, just to, like make fun of people, make fun of hoping that somebody will look at their material and think it's true, and will rant about it, you know, on some kind of other public forum, and so everybody will turn around and laugh at those people. And this is, you know, this is something that is equally ridiculous that I think even caught the people like at Reddit, BuzzFeed, it caught those guys off guard of how because of how dumb this is. This guy who is known for creating all these internet memes took a picture, a set picture from Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park from, you know, the original one from 93. And you know the scene where the Triceratops is dying and they sift through the manure and all that stuff and it's right there. And Steven Spielberg has a picture sitting in front of the dead Triceratops. The dead robotic puppet Triceratops. So this guy took that picture, posted it online on his Facebook page, 
And underneath it had a message that said this. This is courtesy of thehollyreporter.com, written by Aaron Couch. And it says this, quote, Disgraceful photo of recreational hunter happily posing next to a triceratops he just slaughtered. Please share so the world can name and shame this despicable man. End quote. The article says that the photo went viral with a number of comments condemning Spielberg for hunting the dinosaur. Of course, it's difficult to tell if people really were fooled into thinking it was real or just jumping in on the fun. Here's an example. Like, OMG, how could you kill an innocent creature? However, they left off the C, so it's just really Reacher. Like that, question mark, question mark, question mark, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. What did it ever do to you? Question mark, question mark, question mark, exclamation point, exclamation point. Like, what is wrong with you? Read, and then another one said, what a sad and disgusting scene. They then say that this commenter clearly got the joke. Spielberg also helped T-Rex to eat some actors just to avoid paying their salaries. Such a monster. Another user suggested people donate bitcoins to his account to save dinosaurs from these evil and disgraceful hunters. The third type of comment condemned those who apparently believed the prank with one writing, This post shows perfectly why the Americans must review their education system seriously. Brands come later upped the ante with a picture of Spielberg from the Jaws era, saying, quote, Folks, we need your help identifying this vicious shark killer shown posing with this illegal prey. Sharks are essential to the ecosystem, and their waters are protected off the coast of California. So if you have any knowledge of this fiend's identity or whereabouts, please contact authorities immediately. End all quotes. That happened. That happened. Well, I, for one, am, quite frankly, shocked. Shocked, I say, at the level of neglect that that poor Triceratops was put under before it was finally killed 20 years ago. (laughs) It took this long for people to realize. Yeah. People be dumb. Yeah. I saw that picture the other day, and I, I just happened to see it on Reddit. And there, it was a, it was just like a funny caption uh, that they had had for it or whatever. And then I saw like yesterday or something that story that you were looking at, and I was like, wait, people people thought that was real. <laughs> I yeah, I couldn't believe it. It was terrible. <sighs> but thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. That just, it brightened my evening. Good. Yet again. Yet again. Uh, all right, well, then I guess it's time for us to get into the nitty-gritty. Are you ready, sir? I'm ready. Let's do it. Here we go, folks. It is the news. All right. You want to go first, sir, or do you want me to go first? Oh, you can go first. Alrighty. First up for me, then, is from HollywoodReporter.com, courtesy of Boris Kitt. Jonah Hill joining Channing Tatum, George Clooney, and Coen Brothers' Hail Caesar. 
Josh Brolin, Ralph Fiennes, and Tilda Swinton will also star in the comedy with Scarlett Johansson in early talks to join the production as well. Turns out that Caesar tells the comedic tale of Eddie Mannix, a fixer who worked for the Hollywood studios in the 1950s, and as just as I just uh, pointed out, has a roll call that includes George Clooney, Josh Brolin, Channing Tatum, Ralph Fiennes, and Tilda Swinton. Uh, so, I'm I'm just very excited. This I I think this will be a great yet another great movie. Uh, anytime you see George Clooney teaming up with Coen Brothers, it's bound to be good. Even though there are people out there who uh, didn't really care for intolerable intolerable cruelty, um, I think they can just you know shut their whore mouths. Um. <laughs> see, I know people that absolutely love the movie. And some that absolutely hate it. It really is. I mean, I think just the style of that movie in particular, it, it, it you do fall on one category or the other. You either love it or you hate it. All right. Well, take it away, sir. What's your first up? All right. So I'm going to start off with two little bits of news real quick. Uh, it's a couple directors talking stuff, saying stuff. And uh, one director is Steven Soderbergh, and he actually came out talking to Esquire where he basically giving the reason why he decided to retire from filmmaking and he said this again talking to Esquire quote the bottom line when people talk about all the reasons you know the biggest reason it stopped being fun it just stopped being fun it really wasn't that's a big deal to me it may sound like why do you have to have fun to go to work I don't know I like to be in a good mood. The ratio of bullshit to the fun part of doing the work was really starting to get out of whack. End all quotes. But however he says that, Steve Soderbergh is going to be working on other stuff. I mean, he's going to be working on Magic Mike 2. Channing Tatum might be directing, but he's supposed to be directing alongside Soderbergh. Next director is Christopher Nolan. And uh, from this article from CinemaBlend.com, written by Sean O'Connell, Christopher Nolan's four bold predictions for the future of cinema. First one is, movie screenings will work like television in the near future. He says that, quote, the distributor or theater owner, depending on the vital question of who controls the remote, would be able to change the content being played. Instantly, a movie's Friday matinees would determine whether it gets an evening screening, or whether the projector switches back to last week's blockbuster. This process could even be automated based on ticket sales, in the interests of fairness. End quote. And I'm just going to read one more, and you guys can go back and check out this article. Mainly because it's one of those stupid articles where you read a little section, then it says, continued on the next page, so you have to click the link to go to the next one. His second prediction is, small, unusual films are in danger. And he basically says that if audiences, I'm reading from the website here, if audiences in the near future can vote on what they want shown in the theater, then smaller films that need time to develop an audience, a word-of-mouth hit like John Favreau's Chef, for example, have even smaller chances of securing sustained theatrical runs. Nolan explains, New approaches need time to gather support from audiences. Smaller, more unusual films would be shut out. Innovation would shift entirely to home-based entertainment, with the remaining theaters serving exclusively as gathering places for fan-based or branded event titles. End quotes. 
You have any comments about uh, either two of those things, Matt? Uh, I do have two things that, well, one thing specifically that directly ties into uh, the prediction for the cinema. And then I have something that goes along with your director stuff that you were talking about. All right, so I was looking at this the other day. I totally forgot about this. Um, AMC is actually installing Lazy Boys in the oh, theater. Oh, man, now. yeah, that was one of my news. But that it's a good one, so go for it. Basically, they have um, already done it. This, uh, this particular article is actually... Uh, conglomeration of all the places you can find this on the internet. Uh, it's from Newsy.com, courtesy of Danny Madison. Um, the question is, where's the best place to watch a movie? At home in your comfy chair, right? Well, what if that comfy chair was inside the theater? That's apparently the plan for Kansas City-based theater chain AMC, which is now installing Lazy Boy-style recliners in around a third of its auditoriums. Uh, quote, AMC is announcing that it's spending hundreds of millions of dollars outfitting theaters with Lazy Boy-type seats that will allow you to recline all the way back as you watch your film. Take a look at the chairs. You might fall asleep if the movie's not action-packed, end all quotes. Uh, it turns out they're spending roughly three hundred fifty dollars to $500,000 per auditorium for these new cushy seats, and that's according to Hollywood Reporter. And apparently, though... It's taking up to 50 to 70% less seating per theater, but the Wall Street Journal is reporting that the attendance has been up some 80% in the theaters that have undergone the renovations, with the same theater seeing a 60% increase in revenue over the first quarter of 2014. Um, and yet, we'll still not see prices go up for probably another year or two, according to Cinema Blend, which will go up about a dollar or two. And I might actually have to go check it out if if the one if any of the AMC's around me get these lazy boy seats because someone had an epiphany a few years ago where instead of uh, having the screen where it is today flat on the wall is instead they put it on the ceiling. And they had, and so this way, with it being in that manner, you have to lean back, which is going to eliminate a lot of talking, eliminate a lot of feet being up on people's chairs and stuff, and also eliminate people trying to get in and out during the movie, and nobody's head is in your way. And this is like that first step towards getting us to do that, because wouldn't it be amazing if all of those things could come to pass by looking up and seeing the screen? I think it's interesting, and yeah, it's great because they're wanting to... I guess this is another way to bring people into the theater to make the seats comfy and, you know, more relaxed. But what's the point if in four or five years these seats are going to be torn up, stained, they're going to be nasty... In the middle of the movie, like the seats might start squeaking or squeaking or squeaking or start getting a little rusty. So it's more of like a you know like metal on metal type of movement, and that's I don't don't know. Like I just I just wonder if they're built in a way to where it'll that will not happen. I I just don't I don't know, and that's what I, I think. Like it's right now, like within the first year, it might be a really cool idea. It might be a really neat thing. But I think after a while, it's just going to become another 
thing to fix and another thing to improve. Well, I, I think that's why they keep saying lazy boy type or lazy boy style. I don't think that they're necessarily going to be uh, full on 16 different you know, movement settings, blocking <laughs> in different ways, recliner things. I think that they're just going to be big chair, big armchairs that, you know, can push back. They may not even have the actual recliner, you know, footrest portion on there. Yeah, it but, does. Oh, it does. Okay, yeah, I'm looking I at a picture of it. A picture of it. Uh, but even still, I'm sure they're, that was factored in. I mean, because you, you may spend in half a million dollars on these things is not something that you're just going to sneeze at. You're going to need something that's going to literally take a physical beating and is easy to clean because they're going to need to be able, and and by clean, I mean, they're probably going to be vinyl. So you literally just wipe them down. I just don't want to make them too comfy. Apparently, It it looks pretty leathery. leathery. Yeah. I I don't know. I just don't want to get them to where there's apparently there's a, there's a, a movie theater that has love seats in them, and they just get covered in bodily fluids, if you catch my drift. Yes, there's a theater <laughs> out here called The Landmark, and the, they have like these big, fluffy, cushy um, like pad chairs or whatever, and it's like, you know, I'm sure within the first day that they came out, they were probably really cool, but I don't know about now, because I'm pretty <laughs> sure Nymphomaniac was shown in that theater for a while. As- just don't go in with a black light. That's all you know. That's oh, all I'm man. saying. Uh, but yeah, I I, I agree with. Uh, I think that we're getting to that point though, especially with the ability to on the fly change the movie that's being shown. Where I mean, because a lot of the places now with the digital production stuff, they're they're not they're no longer sent reels. They're sent hard drives, and then the hard drives come weeks in advance of the of the actual screening and then they will email keys that are you know then you just type it in and that's what unlocks the hard drive so you can show the movie right so how hard would it be to just be like oh this isn't making enough money swap it out i mean i think that's going to be a little bit further down the road than nolan is predicting just because they're still tied into an old system that says you must show this movie even if no one's sitting in the theater and you must have X amount of screenings per day and whatever. But, yeah, I think that that's totally something that can be done. All right, so next up for me is a lost Bill Murray movie from 1984. I had no idea this was something. It was from MGM, and the movie was entitled Nothing Lasts Forever. It was a 1984 sci-fi film. Uh, In addition to featuring... Bill Murray. It also featured Dan Aykroyd. This is from thehollywoodreporter.com from an article entitled Lust Bill Murray Movie Leaked on YouTube, written by Aaron Couch. It says this, quote, Ghostbusters got all the glory, but Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd starred in another 1984 sci-fi film that's largely been forgotten until now. The pair appeared briefly in Nothing Lasts Forever, which was written and directed by Saturday Night Live veteran Tom Schiller, starring Gremlins' Zach Galligan as a man caught between two worlds. A copy of Nothing Lasts Forever was leaked online in 2011, but it went largely unnoticed until this week. MGM reportedly declined to release the film because it did not test well with audiences, 
It has been screened over the years, gaining something of a resurgence in 2004 when Murray had it included in a retrospective of his work at the BAM Cinematheque in New York. I think they thought it was low budget or something to get off the hook of their contract, but I had total freedom, Schilling said at a 2010 screening. No one was watching hardly, and I got to make a personal film with the studio crew. He also said that the film was accepted to Cannes twice, but MGM did not allow it to screen there. End all quotes. So, it's pretty cool, man. It's pretty awesome. Had Again, had no idea this was something. <laughs> actually, it was funny. I, I actually checked it out. It's kind of an interesting movie. It, it's, not the, it's not the best movie in the whole wide world to me. <laughs> but then again, you know, with the whole Brazil fiasco and stuff. But I think you would probably get a real kick out of it because you like Brazil. And um, I, I felt very reminiscent of Brazil watching this, but in a, but in a more positive way. Uh, and it is interesting. Yeah, I watched a little bit of it, and it has like a feel and a look of a movie that was made in the 1940s, which I think is yeah, really I, neat. Yeah, I, I definitely got that feel as well. Definitely, definitely. So, awesome. Okay, and actually, you know what? I'm going to jump in with my uh, other tie-in news regarding the director stuff that you had had. From FlickeringMyth.com, courtesy of James Garcia, Guillermo del Toro admits that Hellboy 3 isn't going to happen. I know that we have reported, or I specifically, had reported a few times, even as late as October, when I had uh, got to see Ron Perlman there at Sci-Fi, uh, the Sci-Fi uh, Expo in Dallas, that they really wanted to make Hellboy 3, that they really thought they, uh, that their, the drive was there, the desire was there, they were just trying to get everything nailed down, they had a story to tell, all the good stuff. But, unfortunately... Del Toro did a recent AMA on Reddit. AMA is Ask Me Anything. And when he was asked about the status of of Hellboy 3, this is what he said. Quote, Well, you know, we don't have that movie on the horizon, but the idea for it was to have Hellboy finally come to terms with the fact that his destiny, his inevitable destiny, is to become the beast of the apocalypse and have him and Liz face the sort of that part of his nature and he has to do it in order to be able to ironically vanquish the foe that he has to face in the third film he has to become the best of the apocalypse to be able to defend humanity but at the same time he becomes a much darker being it's a very interesting ending to the series but i don't think it will happen end quote i that I mean, it does go on to talk about that, uh, you know, he's busy with Crimson Peak. He's, uh, you know, he got greenlit for Pacific Rim 2. Uh, he's also working on The Strain and um, All the Mountains of Madness. Or, I'm sorry, At the Mountains of Madness. So, he's very busy. He's doing all sorts of stuff. You'd think that if the man could get Pacific Rim 2, he could get Hellboy 3. But, we, whatever. So, I'm sad and disappointed. Yeah, the movie definitely deserves a... You know, the third part of... A trilogy, you know, needs that third movie. Because the movie... The first one had a different tone and feeling to it than the second one did. You know, like, it it just needed that that third closure. You know, really needed that closure, I felt, to really do justice to the story of Hellboy and the world and the characters that Gilmero del Toro helped create and put on screen. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Well, cool. All right. Well, then this is going to wrap it up for me. And then if you want to finish it out, that's cool, too. Um, from IndieWire.com, this is the specialty. Uh, this is courtesy of uh, Peter Negt or Net. K-E-N. K-N-E-G-T. Net. Negt. Holy crap. Connect. I have no idea how to say this guy's name. He's got so many silent consonants, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Alright. Specialty box office Boyhood blasts off to summer's best limited debut. In short, Boyhood is the debut winner of the weekend. It grossed a stellar $359,000 from just five theaters, and it has a 164-minute running time. So that's super impressive. It got a per theater average of 71,800, which is the highest of the summer and second highest of 2014 after the Grand Budapest Hotel, and that one holds the all-time record for a live-action film. It also was a record for Linkletter, uh, topping last summer's Before Midnight, which averaged 49,383 per its five theaters. Um, that just is awesome. I mean, once again, showing just i'm so excited to see this movie i can't wait till it's my turn to see this movie because and i know tim you're super excited even though it's only playing like two theaters you know where you could possibly even get to it um so do you think this is going to bode well for big release oh totally totally i mean i i cannot wait to see this movie it's shot and based where we live in spring you know, like the bowling alley that they're in. I I used to go to that bowling alley, and you know, it goes to the baseball park at the there in Houston. It's it's gonna be awesome. I'm super excited for it. Outstanding. Well, cool. All right. Well, then bring us home, sir. All right. Well, I got a lot of things to touch on for her to end this into the new or to end my portion of actually just in the news period, and mainly because I've been wanting to talk about two of these things for a little while. And if I wait any longer, it's definitely going to become old news, but it's definitely worth mentioning. First one from the movie Midnight Rider. That's the Greg Allman biopic where the poor second AD tragically died. Uh, She got hit by a train while she was filming on a bridge. Well, they went to court. And this is according to Deadline.com. Midnight Rider filmmakers charged with involuntary manslaughter in death of Sarah Jones. Quote, Prosecutors in Georgia's Wayne County today charged filmmakers Randall Miller, Jody Seven, and Jay Cedrus with involuntary manslaughter and criminal trespass in the February death of 27-year-old camera assistant Sarah Elizabeth Jones. Jones was killed on a train tessel while filming a scene for the Greg Allman biopic. The accident happened on February 20th when Jones was struck by a freight train. The film's crew members were on the tracks of the uh, on the tracks of the Doctor Town train trestle for the shoot by Unclaimed Freight Productions Incorporated, the production company owned by Miller and Seven. Under Georgia law, a manslaughter conviction would carry a sentence of 10 years in prison. Criminal trespass is a misdemeanor and carries potential sentence of one year. Miller was the director of the film, Sav and his wife was the producer, and Cedrish served as the unit production manager and executive producer. Other crew members on the shoot were injured, but survived. 
The film was to be distributed in the U.S. by Open Road Films. Production was shut down, and attempts to restart the shoot in L.A. were rebuffed. Uh, I'll just end that there. It's uh, pretty... God. Horrible, 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 horrible stuff. It just goes to show that any set, any movie set, is unsafe. You know, this also goes back to during the uh, during the making of Triple X when that stunt guy died after he was doing this parachute stunt and he ran right into a bridge and crushed himself. Horrible, horrible stuff. Next up, Innocence of Muslims. That, yeah, that, that this, this thing, this thing. I haven't talked about it in a while because nothing has really come up about it. For those of you who do not remember what uh, I mean by Innocence of Muslims, that thing, it's a film in which one of the ladies, one of the actresses in it, was trying to copyright her performance, and they've taken it to court, and and Netflix, Google, everybody, every studio, everybody involved with movies, TV, entertainment, is worried about this ruling, or have been worried about this ruling. Because if it comes down into this woman's favor, that would mean that anybody can copyright their work. Any background character in any movie has a right to any residuals that the film takes in, because that's her performance. Despite, you know, it doesn't matter the contract or anything, you know, it's all about copywriting your performance. And this is what it says here, Hollywood Reporter article, on Friday the 9th, U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals readdressed Garcia versus Google its controversial ruling in February that held that the innocence of Muslims, actress Cindy Lee Garcia, could assert a copyright interest in her performance in the film and ordered Google to remove the inflammatory anti-Islamic film from YouTube. After after the decision was handed down, it ignited a firestorm of protests from Google, which warned of Hollywood chaos and from others including Netflix, prominent news organizations, and top documentary filmmakers, who urged a rehearing upon the fear that contributors to join creative works could step forward with rights claims and muddy the distribution of films, television, shows, and more. Chief Circuit Judge Alex Kozinski has now amended the opinion by reiterating that an actor's performance, when fixed, is copyrightable if it evinces some minimal degree of creativity. He newly rules that the Copyright Office's refusal to register Garcia's performance doesn't stop a determination that it is copyrightable. But he has also softened his overall stance slightly, noting that nothing we say today precludes the district court from concluding that Garcia doesn't have a copyrightable interest or that Google prevails on any of its defenses. The judge acknowledges the fervent objection by those who came forward in support of Google after the decision was issued in February. He addresses their concern about the applicability of their fair use doctrine and exception to copyright authority and Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, providing immunity to online publishers for statements made from their users. The judge writes, these issues weren't addressed in their original opinion because it was not raised by the parties. Today, he raises the specter that Google might be able to prevail on such defenses back at the lower district court. That said, the amended opinion still represents a victory for Garcia, at least for now. 
who Judge Kaczynski writes has demonstrated a likelihood of success on her claim that innocence of Muslims infringes her copyright. As a result, the highly controversial injunction says, interestingly, a petition for a rehearing in Bonk is still pending, meaning that it's possible that the Ninth Circuit might vote to once again consider reconsider the ruling before a wider array of judges. And I'll just end all quotes there. It's a very, very, very fascinating story. Uh, I suggest all those that are interested to look it up and read more into it. Crazy, crazy stuff. Last thing I want to mention, just really quick. The voice actor of Pinocchio, Richard Percy Jones, passed away at the age of 87 years old. That's right. He was the voice of Pinocchio from the classic 1940s Disney family film. So, poor guy. 87 years old. Lived a long life, though. So, really cool. We all grew up with him, which is neat. He he no longer has those mortal strings to hold him down or pick him up or make him frown. Were you just waiting to end (laughs) in that piece of news with that? Well, I didn't know you were going to do it last. I I had kind of thought about it when you told me who it was. I wonder if that's going to be on his tombstone. It's entirely possible. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up the news then. Looks like we're going to be going into... Discussions with Matt and Tim. This time on Discussions with Matt and Tim... Matt and Tim will be discussing the RopeofSilicon.com article, The Answer is Not to Abolish the PG-13 Rating. You've got to get rid of MPAA ratings entirely by Brad Brevet. And now, Discussions with Matt and Tim. Alright, yes! Just like announcer dude said, it's from the RopeOfSilicon.com article courtesy of Brad Brevet. The answer is not to abolish the PG-13 rating. You've got to get rid of MPA ratings entirely. This, of course, is an op-ed responding to the CinemaBlend.com article courtesy of Gabe Toro, why the PG-13 rating should be abolished. Um, and let me just kind of go over this here for you. It says here, in an article over at CinemaBlend, Gabe Toro makes a case for abolishing the PG-13 rating on the back of the PG-13 recently handed out to Sylvester Stallone's The Expendables 3, the first installment of the franchise not to receive an R rating. The reason given by the MPAA for the rating was due to violence including intense sustained gun battles and fight scenes and for language. The reason given by Stallone for the rating, however, was, quote, we want to reach as many people as possible. It's very close to an R. Believe me, it's right there. But I think we owe it to the next generation. We thought we'd join that club for a while, end quote. Now, the article then, of course, goes on to say, which is what I believe, of course, he could have just given the reason without beating around the bush, which is, we want to make more money at the box office. And that's that's pretty much what it is. It's the last one they're going to do. There's not going to be any more after this one. Uh, and so why not try and just do the money grab? 
It goes on, when the PG-13 rating was originally introduced, it came on the back of largely Steven Spielberg's Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which featured the removal of a man's beating heart from his chest and the dining on chilled monkey brains. Mmm. That film was rated PG-13, but it is arguable that it remains far less glory than, say, similarly PG-rated films including Raiders of the Lost Ark and Poltergeist, which were the, uh, which had, of course, the melting of faces, facial mutilation, all that kind of fun stuff. And then on the opposite end of that, of course, with the PG-13 rating, has come an unwritten set of rules. You can show a naked Kate Winslet in Titanic. You get one use of the word fuck, which has been turned into a joke in most PG-13 movies. You can feature as much violence as you want as long as the blood is limited, non-existent, or in the case of something like Aliens vs. Predator, it isn't the blood of humans. Such... Quote, rules, end quote, are ridiculous, especially in the age of the internet, where red band trailers are readily available and porn is just a click away. What exactly are we protecting children from anyway? Well, the article then goes on to discuss the finer points of Toro's article, um, where... He he believes that if you just remove PG-13, then PG will become the G of, of when Tim and I were kids. And then uh, PG-13 would then just become PG, and then you'd have R. Well, the simple fact of the matter is, is that PG-13 allows for the most money to be made. And therefore... Uh, Brad Brevet is saying, get rid of the ratings entirely. And it, now, when he says that, it's not a whole anarchistic thing, and this is not a slam on the MPAA, a la all of the discussions we've had in the, in the news and other previous discussions that we've had over the last couple of months uh, that Tim and I have had. This is more along the lines of just get rid of the ratings to let people make up their minds because all of the information is already out there. However, keep what the MPAA does now, which is giving a reason for the rating itself. You have, for example, you go to a PG-13 movie and it says for blood, gore, and intense uh, horror sequences or whatever, right? Well, instead of saying PG-13 and this movie is rated PG-13 because, instead you just simply say MPAA says this movie has these themes and then again now you as the consumer can say oh this is something that's up my alley or mm, no not my alley or this will be great for me but not necessarily great for my kids and then you kind of have a happy medium everybody gets to see what they want to watch nobody has to worry about whether or not kids are going to come and uh the mpaa still gets to be the mpaa I guess. I I like this. I mean there of course all both articles are pie in the sky. There's they're both op-eds. But I definitely like uh Brevet's article better. I like his plan. It seems a little bit more well thought out and also goes to show where the money grab is really happening and why it's all here. So I kind of agree with that on 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 its merits and would totally say let's just get rid of it and leave it up to people but i might be a little bit too much of a personal responsibility advocate i don't know tim uh i know you've read both of these articles so uh 
what 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 is your opinion do, do you think that do you think either one of these guys has a point or does one have more of a point over the other or yeah the guy from Ropa Silicon has a better point for sure but i we need a rating system we we need a rating we need somebody to there needs to be some kind of like regulation because if we do have something kind of like what what you agree with with just have the MPAA just like lists what's wrong with it and have the adults or the parents be the you know be the regulators on the children but the, I mean you just can't trust parents to do that is the thing and I don't want to be sitting in a movie theater with 55 kids if the movie should be rated R and I, if if that was the case, if they were ever to get rid of the rating system, which I'm, I'm 100% sure it will never happen, there will be no uh, limit for children for any for child admittance. You know, a lot of people really need that. Okay, well, kids, you know, I I would let you go. I mean, the movie looked really good, but it does say it's rated R on the screen. They don't even know what it's rated R for. They just look at the big giant R that's on the screen. They don't care about reading the rest of the material, which isn't, you know, really in small print. It's pretty big on a movie screen. You know, and well, that's kind of like what they go off is the big, le- you know, letter R. And a, well, a sure, number of people don't even... That... huh? I'm sorry. I was just gonna say I, I agree in principle, but you have to remember the ratings weren't the rating system wasn't always there. There, there wasn't always. I mean, uh, but people have or people are different now. People, especially well, they got younger, trained to use it. Huh? You can't. We can't. You're saying that we can't train that that people can't be trained to use a new system. I mean, do I? I don't know. Do, do you see yourself having kids someday? Well, a lot of people don't use the system now. So then, what's the point? If it's already not even being used correctly, because and more we people rely will on not use the system, to enforce the rule. If there's no system, if there's no nothing to like to regulate, you know, like th- what's so good about going to movie theater? You've said this a million times. Well, I'm really glad that. Well, maybe not a million times. I don't know if you've <laughs> even said it. I know I've said it, <laughs> but going to going to movie theaters that are 21 years. Uh, or older, you have to be in to go in. Like, Silverado does that. They have a couple theaters where it's 21 and over. Um, I think even uh, Alamo Drafthouse, you have to be 21 or over. Sure, after a certain time. Yeah. Right, and, exactly. And again, but and, again, those are... But that's not... That has absolutely nothing to do with the rating. You could go see a G movie that plays at 10.30 at night at uh, well, Alamo Drafthouse, yeah. and you're not getting in unless you're 21. Right. So, but, that- but what's great about it is that there's no kids there. There's no kids. Why? Because there is a regulation there. No, the, if the you regulation go to the rater- is in place by the theater, not by uh, law. No, that's, and but that's what I'm saying. I'm talking about the idea. There is, right, there is a regulation there in place by the theater, yes, but it's a regulation regardless. Now, if this was a thing to where it's like, okay, well, every single movie theater... After 6 p.m., if a movie is rated, you know, or has this rating where it's described as having coerced language throughout, like Wolf of Wall Street, after 6 p.m., no child, you know, regardless, nobody can come in unless you're 21 years or older. If that's how theaters decide to do it, then, you know, I can maybe be okay with that. 
But I tell you, man, if I go to a movie like The Wolf of Wall Street and I sit down and there's a row of kids sitting in front of me or a row of kids sitting behind me, you know, it would I wouldn't enjoy the movie. I would just be like, sure, what but the hell, you run man? that risk already today. If you go to a movie theater and a guy who is over the age, you know, if a guy like me, if I wanted to take my three daughters, my six-year-old, my four-year-old, my two-year-old, if I wanted to take them to Wolf of Wall Street at eight o'clock at night and you're in the theater, tough shit on you. I can do that. Why? Because there's a parent or guardian present. So the rules are the MPAA has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not the business uh, concerns of the theater match the business concerns of you, the consumer. But it would still regulate it, though. I mean, that's but what the, it. That's, that's what that's it does. Is that it Regu- adds? It adds yeah. that like that concern for a parent to be like, okay, well, I was thinking about taking my kids to go see it, but you sure, know what? But, it's rated I mean, R. You're telling me right, but you're telling me that if we just took the R away, they wouldn't take the extra two seconds to see blood, gore, nudity. I mean, you're now you're 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 totally limiting. You're you're putting yourself in a group that you're smarter than. No. That's why I asked before. I mean, do you Jesus ever in one day? I mean, do you ever one day plan to have kids? Okay, it's like if you watch something on TV. Okay, you you look at I, I, what I remember watching Dish Network back in twelve years ago or whatever. And you look at it, and at least then, I don't know if it still does or not, but you can look at it, and it gives you the name of a movie if you go to Cinemax or Showtime or whatever. And you look at it, and it says, you know, L for language, nudity, there's N, sexual content, yada, yada, yada. But if you look at various PG movies, as well as PG-13 movies, you can see that same exact thing, with the exception of, like coarse language throughout. I mean, that's definitely probably for an R-rated movie. But you'll see a lot of the same things for an R-rated movie for a PG-13 movie. And even a PG movie. Nudity. So, with there being the letter R, or PG-13, or G, attached to it, I yes, I absolutely think that adds a little bit more, a little bit more of a regulation to some people. And without it, and I, again, I'm going off of if if what you know what this the the guy from uh, from uh, Ropa Silicon wrote, like in his example, you take away the rating, and all you have is the description of what is in the movie: coarse language, violence, you know, uh, graphic sex, graphic nudity, and all that stuff. Right. A lot of people don't know how to go off that if there isn't because it's again there's nudity in Titanic. Right, but okay, let's let, allow me to read the actual paragraph. It says, and, and this is directly from the article, what needs to happen is the elimination of ratings and the introduction of descriptions as to what the film contains. Period. It's not the theater's job to police our children, that's the job of the parents. So, provide an accurate description, yes, this involves reading, of the kind of visual bloody violence graphic nudity, vulgar language, and so forth a film contains, and the audience can make up its own mind. After all, we have the ability, right? The ability to think for ourselves. If not, be careful. There are walls everywhere. I wouldn't want you to run into one. And then it follows it right up. But what about when I'm not with my child and they go to the movies alone? 
Well, have you raised them properly? And what movie are they going to see that is really going to offer up something so heinous it's not it's going to scar them for life? Uh, you know, I can just imagine someone reading this and yelling, I don't want my kid to see Nymphomaniac. Well, kudos to you for having that one child out there seeking the arthouse cinema so they can sit through two separate two-hour volumes of a Lars Van Trier movie. I, the thing is, is that you... I understand what you're saying, Tim. I, I, I'm not trying to cloud the issue of the fact that, yes, there are stupid people out there, and there are people who aren't going to take care of their kids, but there are already systems that have been put in place that have nothing to do with regulation. Regulation is done via the MPAA. They have set that up as a, as a self-governing agency so that the actual government will not be involved. So they have self-regulated this industry using this rating system. What you're talking about is, is having the private corporation, the business, see what works for them and what works for the people who will pay money and bring in dollars and buy those concessions and making sure that those people are happy thus creating rules like no one after 21 after nine o'clock or no one under 21 after nine o'clock uh like over in market street uh, after you know after nine o'clock no one under the age of 18 uh things like that to prevent that so it's not even going to matter whether or not the movie is rated g or nc-17 they're not going to let kids in because they know it's going to hurt their business. And I think that that kind of stuff would be self-evident even if, as you fear, the worst would happen and it would just become absolute chaos and everyone would send their four-year-olds to go see a nymphomaniac. Um, but again, you're smarter than that, you know? You, your family is smarter than that. We're smarter than that. So we already know, and there are more people like us who would be able to keep a pretty good handle on their kids and prevent any worries, really, with the rating system, whether or not it says R, because we know what's going to be in that movie. It will also change the content of movies as well. Let's take Wolf of Wall Street. Say if I was somebody that... Uh, okay, I saw Wolf of Wall Street... It was a little too much for me, but I I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. Thoroughly enjoyed it. But say if I was somebody like a, a grandparent, an older, more conservative person who who doesn't mind language or nudity, but only but if it's done in a in a different in, in a different way. And so like if that's present in the movie, if the movie was PG thirteen, you know he might you know they might enjoy it more. So. If there's no rating, you don't know what content you're seeing and how it's used. Because you can't really take a reviewer, uh, an opinion of a reviewer, because I cannot tell you how many times before, even after I've seen movies and I talk to, or I've read reviews, and people have totally different opinions and observations on, on content and how to regulate, or their idea of, Oh, well, I mean, this was a lot of nudity, or this was a little bit of nudity, or this was it was littered with language, or no, there wasn't, the language wasn't that bad. It's like, it's obviously so much language in the movie, and yet you're saying, you know, just stuff like that. Well, sure, no, I, and I agree with that, but that's not what the, that that's not the goal here. The goal is to not just have it be done willy-nilly, it's again, to leave the MPAA in place to do that. 
they're already doing it now. They, they say it's PG-13. Well, why is it PG-13? Uh, vulgar language and, uh, and violent scenes and intense horror images. So those are already there. Um, all, all that uh, Mr. Brevet is, is saying is that we just remove the PG-13. We just remove the R because we have an independent body who's already been regulating, as you, to use your parlance there, uh, for this, for the body of work that's happening now is going to continue. So it's just going, it's going to be their call as it has already been to say graphic nudity, vulgar language, or intense scenes of horror imagery or, you know, drug use or, or what have you. So you're still going to have that there, and that's going to be done by an independent body who's not just reviewing the movie. I don't know. I can definitely see both sides. I think, think like, in hindsight, on the top layer, it, it sounds like a good idea, but I don't know. I think it would just... Movies with the content of a movie will slowly change. I mean, like, it'll slowly get more towards, if you were to put a rating on it, it would be, it would go more towards R. And therefore, unfortunately, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't think we're going to be seeing as much PG-13 movies, for the most part. Because, you, I mean, look at Gilmero del Toro saying, can't do an R-rated horror movie, so I might as well make PG-13 work. When you and I both know a PG-13 horror movie can work, you look at Insidious, uh, you liked Insidious Chapter 2, The Conjuring, we both enjoyed, I, I loved The Conjuring, I mean, sure. we both enjoyed it, and yeah. it goes, and that, that was better than most rated R horror movies that have come out in the past 10 years, and yet it worked completely, fantastically as a PG-13 movie, and so I guess my true worry would be that more movies would try to go for the R-rated, you know, over you know, over the top action, over the top horror, you know, special effects and gore and whatnot, except like being a little bit more reserved and then focusing on a better story or more well thought out camera movements and you know, like like things, stuff to stimulate the audience's giddiness and their mind, other than just like quenching their thirst for blood and gore and random stupid violence and yeah well then i guess we're just gonna have to settle there <laughs> uh all right well again if you are wanting to check these out for yourself uh, this the the primary topic came from the rope of silicon.com article courtesy of brad brevet the answer is not to abolish the pg-13 rating you've got to get rid of mpaa ratings entirely again this was an op-ed in response to the cinemablend.com article courtesy of gabe toro why the PG-13 rating should be abolished. So check those out. Let us know what you think. Let us know where you land on it. Send us a tweet at the SLScast. Send us an email to the show at SLScast.com. Whichever way you want to do that, we'd love to hear from you. And thus concludes another episode of Discussions with Matt and Tim. Next time on the SLScast, the bonus segment will be Three Squared, where Matt and Tim will cover their picks for their three most divisive films that they have viewed in the 85 episodes that will have aired by the time episode 85 airs next week. Again, thank you for listening to 
Discussions with Matt and Tim. And I guess that leaves us with the last one, the last segment. Are you ready for it, sir? Let's do it. All right, here we go, folks. It's the movies. <laughs> movies this week dawn of the planet of the apes probably the most ridiculously titled planet of the apes movie yet snowpiercer and the ice storm where do you want to start sir uh, let's go with the ice storm Alrighty. the prequel to snowpiercer ah <laughs> uh, yes 1997 snow uh, the ice storm i almost said snowstorm that's terrible i'm now combining him it's the snowstorm the Snowpiercer Storm. The Ice Storm, 1997 American drama film directed by Ang Lee. It's based on a novel of the same name by Rick Moody. Stars Kevin Klein, Joan Allen, Sigourney Weaver, and also features a wonderful little uh, Elijah Wood and some Christina Ricci and, of course, Tobey Maguire. Even Katie Holmes is in this movie. There's a lot of, a lot of future people, future uh, famous people here. And this is the story of a rather dysfunctional family in the 1970s and the experiences that they all have over the course of an evening. The uh, it, We've got all sorts of wonderful pop culture references happening here. We've got the music, we've got friendships, uh, teenage love, uh, disobedient kids, uh, you know, the whole uh, finding your way in the world stuff, uh, the facade of a happy upper middle class family, swingers parties, I mean, keys in the fishbowl, the whole nine yards, and, uh, you know, all wrapped in one little big package of death in terms of people and relationships and weather. And yeah, so uh, I recall this uh, movie. It's been a while since I'd seen this movie, so it was nice to see it again. This was literally, that I can recall, truly the first independent film that I ever watched. And and again, I mean, so this was damn near 20 years ago. I wasn't as cultured then. I still liked movies like Commando and Aliens. I mean, they're still good movies, but you get where I'm going. Uh, this movie for me, I thought it was just absolutely fantastic, uh, amazing, amazing performances from Kevin Klein. Uh, Sigourney Weaver is probably this is probably my favorite role outside of Working Girl. I think this is probably my favorite role that she's ever done. And yes, I'm counting Ridley. I, I, yeah, I know, uh, or Ripley. Sorry, and. This is just, I mean, the acting is great. The cinematography is just outstanding. Uh, Frederick Elms was awesome. Uh, the collaboration between him and Ang Lee is just spectacular. And I don't know, I can't say enough good things about it. For me, there, a little, there's, there's a little bit of some pacing issues that happen towards the end of the movie. Um, but even still... Given those small pacing issues, it's just so fun to watch all these characters and how everything branches from one incident and is all wrapped around this ice storm that happens, and yet so many different lives are impacted in so many different ways. 
and the stories don't really even cross over per se. It's just kind of you're you're watching everything as it happens between these families. Overall, just this one family, primarily. But it is just so amazing to just look at the levels of human emotion on people and the frustration that people have when they think about their lives and their relationships and themselves. And it's just powerful. This movie is powerful. It's a wonderful way to say it. And I just absolutely love the movie myself. I think it's fantastic. And I five stars for me. Even with the pacing issues, I still give it five stars. I love this movie. Highly recommend this movie. Fantastic. Yeah, it's a five-star movie for me as well. I agree with every single thing that you said. The only thing I can really add is that, uh, for, for one thing, Sigourney Weaver was beautiful. Very, very good-looking in, in the movie, which I don't think I've really ever said that about. Well, maybe when she was... The uh, when she was Zool in Ghostbusters, she had that kind of fo- foxy demonic look to her, which which works. It's like the demonic look and the slutty look totally works for Sigourney Weaver. But uh, no, I kid. She's a fantastic actress. But one the other uh, one thing I really want to note for this movie was very kind of interesting. And for those of you who have seen it, and for those of you who I hope will check it out after listening to the show, this movie metaphorically shows how the 1970s liberalism came to an end. Metaphorically, it kind of builds that up a little bit. I mean, you can you can you can build that up in your mind a, a little bit and it takes a little bit of thought, a little bit of thinking, but think about it afterwards. You might agree with me, you might not. So, yeah, five stars for me. Awesome, awesome. Well, that was easy. Where do you want to go from here, sir? Let's go with uh, Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. All right. This is the 2013 South Korean science fiction action film, and this is based on a graphic novel. It is directed by Bong Joon-hoo and stars Chris Evans, a host of people that you really haven't heard of. It does, however, have uh, John Hurt in there, Tilda Swinton, and a special appearance by Ed Harris. (laughs) This is a movie about a train that survives an experiment basically that is supposed to take care of global warming but unfortunately inadvertently triggers an ice age and it's a this is a train it's on a global track and so all of the survivors of this train are then broken into a makeshift cast system and now we go 17 years into the future the the film begins in 2014 and then go 17 years into the future, and you see this just terrible, terrible Orwellian, almost, uh, play just acting itself out, where the people in the front part of the train are the rich and the wealthy, and they're living it up, and the people in the back part of the train are starving and just living in terrible, terrible conditions. Chris Evans' character... Uh, He plays a guy by the name of Curtis Everett, and he decides to lead a revolution. They're going to take over the train, by God. And so they go on their way. They begin, and they make make valiant efforts. There's... It's almost like a video game. 
there's levels of difficulty, and <laughs> they keep overcoming certain hurdles, and there are setbacks, and hurdles are overcome. And in the meantime, you come across people who are always adding to the story in a, in a very pivotal way. And even when you don't realize how pivotal they are when you first meet them, you'll, you gradually appreciate all of the things that they add to it. Great performances virtually all the way around. Uh, I know Tim is probably going to go further into this. Uh, Tilda Swinton does a fantastic job. I think she's just a terrifically underrated actress. I, I first really became enchanted by her in uh, Constantine, actually, the Keanu Reeves flick. And, you know, and, and again, just she does a great job here. Uh, I really enjoyed seeing Chris Evans doing something that you just actually you, you haven't really ever seen him do. It is an action movie. You have, I, you you have. I'll get to that too. But he's he's done another movie where it was it's a very powerful character. Okay, <laughs> uh, it's just fun for for you, even though it's an action film, to see him take on a role in a much different fashion than you would normally see. Now, you do eventually get to... The, the whole goal is to try and take down this one particular, you know, the evil guy who's in charge of all the... Who's basically in charge of the chaos. And it, you know, it ends up being... It's Ed Harris. Well, while I agree with the level of dialogue and the way that the characterization was portrayed, I don't really know how else you could have pulled it off Especially given Ed Harris. I like Ed Harris. Um, I mean, he's not my favorite actor in the whole world, but I definitely think he is a good actor, and I do like the characterizations that he brings and, and the mannerisms that he is able to read into the characters he portrays and pulls that off on screen. i, I got to say, I, I enjoy it. Even still, I felt that he was more of a drag on the story than adding to it. His character was more of a drag on the story than adding to it. And I do think that the dialogue did limit that to a certain degree. And I know, again, not to steal Tim's thunder, I'm, uh, he, he will definitely go into that more. So the movie is leading up and leading up and leading up. And then, I, and I like the way it flowed, but I really felt that this movie ended in the only way that it could. It's not the best ending, it's not the worst ending. But I still would walk away from this movie saying... Four stars. I really liked it uh, overall. It's, it's original. Again, people, you really have to get into Korean cinema. <laughs> get into good Japanese cinema. Get into good Chinese cinema. Get into good Korean cinema. You're, you don't know what you're missing. So there you go. Four stars for me. What do you got, Tim? I was really, 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 really looking forward to this movie. <sighs> Really looking forward to it. Trailer, fantastic. The opening of the movie, movie, first 80% of the movie, exactly how I wanted it to be, or I guess didn't, wasn't expecting, I don't know, it was great. I was, I, I got the cool, the great vibe, I was in it, I had me, had me by the throat, just pulling me into the action of the characters and the storyline and the, all, all this stuff. You know, the movie was great. I what was fantastic about it is that the movie has a pretty dull and dark premise to it. A very sad premise, I should say. But the movie itself isn't absolutely depressing. It is exciting. 
fun, but at the same time, there is that that looming feeling of this is messed up. This is totally messed up, and this can be cannot be better defined by any other character than Tilda Swinton's character. Everything from her teeth to her bizarre hair <laughs> to those huge ass glasses, and she is funny. She is funny. Definitely one of the most memorable, I guess you could call her a villain, a bad guy, in uh, in movies you know, in, a, in a while. I mean, she's just so, so good. Her mannerisms, how she talks to people, how she tries to get out of being shot or get out of being killed, trying to lure people astray. It's just really fascinating character work and highly recommend this movie even for that. I mean, you've got to see it. And like I said, the movie was fantastic. Most of the movie was fantastic, but something about maybe, I don't know, I kind of, I lost track of time throughout it, so I, I, I can't, I don't really want to pinpoint a time, but it's right when things start to, like, you know, you see the ending, and you're just gearing up to run full speed so you can just bust right through that wall and then, you know, that's the end of the movie, figuratively speaking. There's no real wall that's being broken. But something happens in the movie where you have all this great momentum. You have, not just because they're on train, <laughs> not, and you have this fantastic characters, uh, especially Chris Evans, in the movie that I was saying earlier that Chris Evans was in, where he played a fantastic character was in a movie called Puncture from 2011. Based on a true story, he played a lawyer in Houston who was a drug addict. He was a he was a drug addicted lawyer who takes on the healthcare system. But yeah, he was fantastic at it. So he's he did really well with this. And so none of the characters were the issue except Ed Harris. Once you realize Ed Harris is in the movie, that's when the movie just kind of stops. Then once you find that out, or actually right before you find that out, you find something completely disturbing, which takes the takes the tone of the movie in a completely different direction. And then you find out all the, the, the real story behind the Snowpiercer and all this stuff. And then that takes the movie into another direction. And it's just like, oh hey, we have this movie that's built upon great pacing, Great characterization, great storytelling, but then they just throw all this stuff at you, and then all of a sudden, bam, the movie's over. It's not like they throw the stuff at you, and they have time to, like, you know, move along with it for a little while, and then in the movie, no, it, you're just kind of thrown with all this, like, emotions, all these emotions, and you don't know what, I, at least I didn't know what the hell to think, and then the movie just ends, and it's like, you're kind of left, like, uh, God damn it. God damn it. If it was a a movie without their without American actors, without them saying uh, dialogue that was written in English by uh, by the director who is Korean, I think stuff was. I don't know if things. I don't want to say things were lost in the translation, but I think there's definitely. I don't. I don't want to say a a dialogue barrier but i think some how some dialogue is written and executed in say asia when you are an american actor or when you're an actor speaking english i don't think it at least to my ears doesn't come across right the word you're looking for i think is cadence uh it's the way in which we speak our 
words. It's not a matter. It's I don't know that it's so ma- so much a matter of the dialogue itself, but I do I do think it's cadence. I think that there is a there's a rhythm that we speak in, and the rhythm that when you match that with Japanese, when you match that with Korean, it it doesn't jive as well. And it's kind of like a, a good. Here's a really good one for you. For anyone who is into uh, anime, there are people who uh, are really into subbed, and then there are people who are really into dubbed. I only do subbed because when you have dubbed dialogue, it sounds ridiculous. Even though it's the same words, it's just the way that it translates and the way that you w- would speak that dialogue doesn't come off the right way as as when you're listening to it in name and so I really think it has a lot to do with cadence personally but I understand what you're saying I, I but I would attribute that to cadence more than a lost in translation effect right that, yeah that, that makes there you sense. go well I pre- yeah I appreciate that that is sure. definitely uh, what I'm going for and there's hints of that you know throughout the movie but it I think it really becomes noticeable at the end. But who knows? But like I said, I, I was excited for this movie. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I wrote down 4.25. But I, th- I really think it's like a really it's a really good four and a half star movie. And if you're somebody that just kind of stumbles into this movie not knowing what to expect, and, and you're a fan of this kind of movie, I think you'll get a kick out of it. It's very inventive and really cool. Well, then I guess that's going to leave us with Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Now... Me, I personally think this one should have been called Rise of the Planet of the Apes and the other one should have been called Dawn of the Planet of the Apes because the stories don't make any sense according to the titles. But hey, whatever. This one here is the 2014 American science fiction film. It's directed by Matt Reeves and, of course, stars Andy Serkis as Caesar. This is ten years after the end of Rise of the Planet of the Apes. And humans have pretty much all, all but have been wiped out. And in the city of San Francisco, you have this remaining population who has taken over a portion of the city that was also a quarantine zone, and they are in desperate need of power. They've been running on diesel generators, and now they need to get uh, back to uh, hydroelectricity. Um, In the mountainous area, because remember, San Francisco is getting into Northern California, You have uh, Caesar and his clan, which is an absolute huge amount of apes, and they have been living peacefully and uh, living off the land and everything. Their communication skills, of course, um, are primarily in sign, but they do have a few of the more highly uh, evolved, I guess you could say, uh, can actually speak. We have basically a series of clashes between the two species that erupt when the humans are trying to get a hydroelectric dam back online to get power back down to San Francisco, even on just a limited basis. This movie, I think, has a better connection to the idea that Beings of this earth, especially as you become more sentient, are more alike than we care to admit. And I, and it, I think it does a better job of telling that kind of a story 
overall in this film than it did in even Rise of the Planet of the Apes. One thing that I thought that it did to a to a pretty large detriment is create the unnecessary need for bad guys. There are bad guys on the human side and there's bad guys on the ape side. And the motivation, I, I can at least buy the motivation for the bad guys on the ape side. But the bad guys on the human side literally are just kind of there to do nothing more than advance the plot. And you can see it from the word go. And, it, and it's just irritating because it, they just fall into a trope. And it's disappointing because one of these bad guys is someone that I really like as an actor. Um, The movie has uh, very decent action scenes, and I really think that, especially in terms of ape culture, they have, you know, Jane Goodall would be proud. Uh, You know, that... There is definitely a real feel like you're in an evolving ape culture that is definitely taking on traits of humanity as it retains the culture that has been part of the animal kingdom for, you know, however many years you want to attribute to that. Unfortunately... Again, you've got the clashes that keep occurring more to advance the plot and the overall story arc than to do anything else. But then you have the glimpses of when they come together and you and they see eye to eye. They're just those are just done so so well. And the special effects definitely got handed to them on this one. I'm huge huge fan of the motion capture and everything that they did for these movies, uh, especially with the amount of work that had to be done considering how many apes we've got going on in this one. Um, All in all, I definitely gotta say that I like this movie. Uh, A tad long, but not not anything that's gonna really detract from it. Actually, the, the, the feeling of it being long occurs actually in the beginning, which is kind of nice because uh, by the time it gets going, it pretty much stays going. Any pacing issues are pretty much taken care of 20 minutes into the movie. That being said, all those bad guy moments, everything that, especially on the human side, really drug this movie down for me. Does it? Do, would I say don't go see this movie? No, it's still worth seeing. I definitely like this movie, but it does pull it down from really liking this movie. I'm going to give this one 3.75 stars. Check it out. It is good, but it does have its faults. This movie gets a little too much, becomes too much of the same by the end. It's like, let's go from the forest to San Francisco. Back to the forest to San Francisco. You make me angry. I'm your friend. You make me angry. I'm your friend. He makes me angry. I'm still your friend. It just, it was just kind of like the same thing, you know, just the same stuff happening and Nothing, by the end of it, the freshness really wasn't there. But I make that sound like it's a huge deal, but it really is not. It's what keeps this movie from being a great film. 
CGI is fantastic. There's some great moments with the apes. Uh, the apes, unfortunately, were the better actors than <laughs> than the human beings. Even I think Gary Oldman was wasted. Absolutely agree with you there, sir. Completely, like he uh, he played. He's a fantastic actor. Yet it's like, okay, hey, let's uh, throw you in the role of a misunderstood bad guy, and there you go. You right. know, and he, I mean, nobody's, there's not really a bad guy, which is kind of interesting and plays for really neat, for whatever characters you root for or don't root for. You know, so it's very interesting. And Andy Serkis, man, he, he revolutionized these this motion capture. And you can definitely tell... It's exciting to see that one day, hopefully, he might be nominated, might get a nomination, you know, by from from doing motion capture because he obviously is what you can see from like the special features behind the scenes footage. He is acting, you know, that is him performing. All those apes are actors performing, and they, they you know, that that art definitely deserves some kind of recognition. If it's not best actor or whatever, it's definitely a a technical achievement, an acting technical achievement, I don't know. But uh, this movie wasn't a letdown. By by any means, it wasn't a letdown. Uh, it's really good. This might even be a movie that grows on me. Who knows? I, I hope one day I can change my review. But based on the theater experience that I had, which might not have been the great theater experience, Regal Cinemas in Los Angeles, I give this one 3.75 as well. Right on. Okay, well, that takes care of the movies then. Uh, not as not as different this week. So that's that's always good. <laughs> uh, next week's movies are going to be Nothing Lasts Forever, Life Itself, and Alan Partridge. And I think that's going to do it for us, right? I guess it's time for the good old uh, spiel. Spiel on. Alrighty. Well, then here we go. Spieling on the music that you've been listening to, as always, with the exception of uh, discussions with Matt and Tim, has been brought to you by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. The music from Discussions with Matt and Tim is acquired from MuseOpen.org. As for us, well, we are, of course, the SLS Cast, and you can check us out at slscast.com. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. You can even follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can go to Facebook and search the SLS Cast there. And, of course, as always, subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher. So, until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Stephen King, I get to say this. Only enemies speak the truth. Friends and lovers lie endlessly, caught in the web of duty. Take care, guys. Talk to you next week. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. Remember that you can find us at slscast.com, at the SLS Cast for Twitter, also on Facebook, and you can always subscribe on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.